We're in Mark chapter 2 this, this morning, so let's open our Bibles to Mark chapter 2. We see Jesus very, very busy in the Gospel of Mark. It's kind of the, it's kind of the book of activity. Uh, there's a lot of healing, there's a lot of preaching, there's a lot of movement going on. Jesus here is returning to kind of uh, what is known as his hometown or his home base, uh, his hometown, not because it was the place of his birth, but it was the place where he seemed to settle a lot uh, when he was in the, around the Sea of Galilee and the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee, a city called Capernaum. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read verses 1 to 12. I'm going to have a word of prayer, and then we're going to dive in. And again he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door, And he preached the word to them. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, Why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven you, or say, Arise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. And then he turned and said to the paralytic, I say to you, Arise, take up your bed, and go your way to your house. And immediately he rose, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of them all, so that all were amazed and glorified. And they glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Hear the tone of voice in that one, right? We never saw anything like this. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that, that we would be able to say that. I've never seen anything like this. Jesus, you haven't changed, and you still want to do things that would cause people to say, I've never seen anything like this. So Lord, I pray that we wouldn't get used to to what we have been seeing or are currently seeing, but that we would have it in our hearts that you would do a work in us and in people around us so that we would say, I've never seen anything like this. And we believe, Lord, that that's what you want to do too, something that blows us away. So teach us and have your way with us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. The title of the message is Getting People to Jesus, and I love the efforts of these four men. They are really diligent and really determined to get their friend to Jesus. Kind of set the stage here. The setting, we read in verse 1, back at Capernaum. And Capernaum, as I said, was just kind of a home base. It's where he ended up a lot. It was the city of Peter, and it's thought that oftentimes Jesus spent time in the home of Peter. We see Jesus again teaching Um, he placed great importance on teaching. Look back at chapter 1, verse 38. When Jesus previously was in Capernaum and got up early in the morning to leave, uh, his disciples came to him and said, hey, where are you going? And he said in chapter 1, verse 38, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also because for this purpose I have come forth. Jesus placed a, a premium on teaching, instructing people in the truth of God we say this phrase a lot, and I even see it on some of the crime shows that I like to watch. I like to watch cop shows. But you hear, you hear, you hear Jesus quoted on TV a lot, on Netflix even. 
the truth will set you free. And, and Jesus said, of course, in the highest sense, the, the spiritual truth of who he was will set people free. But truth is, is gained by understanding. And so Jesus wanted people to understand the truth of who he was, the truth about their condition, the truth about their need for him, the truth about God, the truth about heaven, the truth about hell, the truth about life, the truth about marriage, the truth about raising kids, the truth about every single thing in, in human existence he wanted to teach to people. And so Jesus placed a great premium on teaching. And so this was like a home Bible study, and it's not a healing service. So imagine, you know, Jesus is sitting there, the the house is crowded, people are, you know, poking their heads in the windows and standing at the door, and three or four or five deep at the door, and Jesus is, he's just sitting in the house teaching, he's having a Bible study. And then this need arises of this man who's paralyzed. I want us to consider, really give a good amount of time in considering um, what they did, what these guys did, the effort that these men put forth. Back in chapter 1, once again, we saw Jesus in Capernaum earlier. Look at, look at chapter 1, verse 33. Oh, we'll look at verse 32. Now at evening when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed, and the whole city gathered together at the door. I mean, Capernaum was not a giant metropolis, but everybody wanted a piece of Jesus. It was an amazing thing, amazing things that he was doing. And so it seems as though at times he kind of tried to stay off the radar a little bit because the crowds pressed in so much. Imagine, guys, I don't know, what's a good example? Imagine... Well, imagine going to India. I've never been to India, but I have a lot of friends who have. And, and the extreme poverty there. <clears throat> imagine walking through a, a slum in India where there is not one hand or ten hands or a hundred hands, but thousands of hands out like this wanting something. The needs were tremendous in these days. There were people that were demon-possessed. There were people that were sick. There were people that were confused. All kinds of needs going on. And they pressed on Jesus. In some of the Gospels, it said it's like they were just pressing upon his body so that he couldn't even move from one place to another. And you have to remember, this is the setting that these guys, these four men, these are, this is the setting that these guys broke into. Sometimes when we do the outreaches in Mexico and we're giving away candy to the kids, you can, you can tell them to get in a nice line. I remember one year my son Jonathan went, and John's about 6'3", gets it from his mother's side. And, uh, and the kids were just almost clawing at him because he was giving away, he's, he's towering above them, but they're just pressing on, I have these pictures of him, just pressing on his body, wanting this and wanting that. That's how it was with Jesus all the time. And that was the kind of scene that these guys decided to take their crippled friend into. They said, well, our friend is crippled, he's... A, he's He's paralyzed, but Jesus can heal him. And I just want you to understand what they were up against in getting to Jesus. It wasn't just an easy walk up and one or two people in a, in a, in a nice orderly line. People were pressing upon Jesus, understandably so. It was physically difficult. There's three things I want to consider. Number one, it was physically difficult to get to Jesus. Now, th- now, now, now put yourself in Capernaum, First century. Here's some questions. How far did they have to carry this man to bring him to Jesus? 
If he wasn't a next-door neighbor, then they had to go for a while. What if, what, if he, what if this guy lived blocks away? Or what if Jesus was on one side of town and they were on the other side of town and he had, they had to carry a guy a mile? Now, four guys, I mean, you could do it, but it's not an easy thing. Walking together, hopefully everybody gets their steps in order. You know how when you're walking and people are out of step and all that. Hopefully they're kind of doing the best they can. But how far did they have to bring them? We're not told. But the point is, there was physical effort put forth. How, was it dif- how difficult was it to carry this crippled man approaching the crowds? Now, if you're trying to weave your way and you're up at Bottle Rock or something and you've got to get to the front row because your favorite you know, rock and roller is up there and so you're kind of elbowing your way through and, hey, look over there, and you kind of sneak up. and you, you, know, you can do that as a single person. But four guys carrying a stretcher, kind of different. And yet they're desperate to get to Jesus. There's a physical impediment between them and Jesus. There's people in the way. And those people are desperate too. And those people are thinking about what their needs are too. You just got to put yourself in the setting. When they arrived and saw Jesus was not easily accessible, did they think about giving up? We came all this way, and and the, the effort's been worth it so far, but look at this crowd. We'll never get to him. Might they have been, we're not told this, but I just... The Bible says we're all kind of made of the same stuff. There's, there's no temptation except that which is common to man. I may have been tempted to think it must not be God's will for, for Jesus to heal our friend. I mean, look at this crowd. We'll never get to him. The single people can't get to him. How are we going to get to him? Are you, you guys tracking with me? Are you feeling it? I don't do well at the mall at Christmas. You know why? Because of crowds. Dude, give me my space, and my space is much bigger than you think. Okay, get back away. These guys are trying to really press into a very tight spot. And you may, they may have been tempted to think, maybe, maybe tomorrow, or maybe next time, or something else. We don't know, but it was a difficult challenge. I was thinking, what kind of humility and desperation did the crippled man feel? You know, I've had, I've had a few surgeries, a couple knees fixed, a shoulder fixed and all that. And if you've, if you've been crippled, you know, you kind of know what it's like. Are you okay? You know, so I, I, I thank you, everybody that's ever cared about me. But you know how it is sometimes when you get more attention than you want, you know? Any, am I the only one? Anybody else? There's three of us. There's three of us. Okay, well, I'll talk to you guys. Where were you? How did this guy feel? And he gets there, and, it's, and it's the, script, the passage says that he, he also has faith, but he gets there. What does he think? Oh, man, these guys have done this for me, and this looks like a, a brick wall, and we're never going to make it. What's going on? These guys were humans. All the emotions that we feel, they were feeling. They ran into a physical difficulty. It was physically hard to get to Jesus. What do we know about these men? They were desperate for healing for the crippled man. This wasn't just kind of a casual idea. This was something very deep within their hearts. They had a great expectation that Jesus could heal him, heal him, and they would not allow themselves to be defeated by the difficulty of the situation. They show up and there's a crowd. It's like, well, what's plan B? We're getting to him. We're not going home until we get to Jesus. They expected their friend to walk out of that room. They lowered him down through the roof, but they didn't expect to pull him back up through the roof. We're lowering him down, and after that, he's walking out the front door. That was their expectation. They were very, very determined. Now, the message is about getting people to Jesus. 
here's some applications for us. Do we feel the same way about ourselves or other people? We as Christians need healing, don't we? We, we, we did not grow up in a bubble. We did not grow up in a, in a germ-free environment. There are emotional pains that we have, psychological, physical, spiritual, bad memories, all these kinds of things. Christians have problems. We have hurts. We have shame. We have guilt. We have all kinds of, all range of human emotions, things that we've done to ourselves and things that others have done to us. And yet we need to get to Jesus too. And then there's all the other Christians around us that need to get to Jesus too. And then there's all the unsaved people around us in, this, in the city of Napa and our family and friends and neighbors, and they need to get to Jesus too because they are facing a Christless eternity unless they get to Jesus. You guys are with me, right? These four men were desperate to get their friend to Jesus, and I think in my own life, am I desperate to get myself to Jesus? Am I desperate to get my friends to Jesus? Am I desperate to get neighbors to Jesus? And the first impediment here was simply that it was a physical, difficult, difficult uh, situation physically. Physically, it was hard. Here's some thoughts. You can follow along. Do we not get ourselves or others to Jesus because of physical difficulties? Getting people to Jesus happens a lot of way. It happens by you making a phone call or it happens by you taking someone out to coffee, or giving somebody a ride to church, or serving coffee in the morning, or doing a Halloween carnival so that families can come and go home with a children's devotional Bible, and hopefully those little kids, pray for those little kids to say, Mommy, read me the Bible. What? There's a thought, right? We can pray for that, right? We, Jesus wants people to come to him, and he's consigned to us, the responsibility of making disciples of all nations, of getting people to him, but sometimes it's hard because there's physical difficulties in doing it. Some of the excuses maybe that we have, or maybe some of the reasons, maybe not an excuse, that might be a hard word, maybe just some of the reasons that we've allowed to settle into our minds. We might say, well, I can't get myself to Jesus, I can't get people to Jesus, because the place where healing is found is too far away. It's too far to church or it's too far for me to drive across town or to the next town to go talk to my family or my friend. It's just too far. Now certainly what we're talking about here, healing and all this kind of stuff, can happen anywhere, but I'm just going to say in the context of the church, the Lord does a lot of things in the church, doesn't he? A lot of things when Christians gather together. Yes, it can happen at the beach. Yes, it can happen alone in the forest. God can meet you in the forest or on the beach or on the backside of the moon. But sometimes he likes to use people too. And unless that rocket ship's built for two, you're there alone. Okay? So how do we get people to Jesus? Sometimes you say, oh, it's too far. Or I can't go to church, it's just a little too far. My car's broken. I know I only live three blocks away, but I'd have to get up 15 minutes earlier. Here comes my facetious remark, then stay unhealed. You're not desperate enough. You don't want it badly enough. Then, then stay crippled. Then stay emotionally paralyzed. I'm not trying to be facetious or sarcastic, but this is how we think sometimes. We default for that which is easy instead of going for that which is good. We settle for, we settle for walking with a limp or living with some fear or, or trying to navigate life kind of being full of shame and guilt and all those things. 
When, when the fact of the matter is, gee, if I went to that recovery class, there's people like me and they're getting better. I need to get in my car and drive across town and go to that class. I need to get up on Sunday morning and get me some more Bible teaching because I think the wrong things all the time. Oh, that's a little too far. I know we live in a huge city, don't we? Just too far. I'm being sarcastic. That's how we let ourselves think sometimes, you got it? And it's just totally contrary to what these guys were doing. Some other things, you can read it here. The meeting's too long. The meeting's too early. It's uncomfortable. Or on a personal level, I don't have time to read my Bible. I get up to work too early. I get home too tired. I'm too busy on the weekends. I know emotionally I'm messed up. I know my marriage is a wreck. I know I'm estranged from my family. I know I'm, I'm paralyzed emotionally. I'm afraid to go out of the house. I'm afraid to do this or that or the other thing. But I really don't have time to read my Bible because I just need that extra 15 minutes of sleep. 15 extra 15 minutes of sleep is not going to heal your heart. It'll rest your muscles, but it's not going to change your mind. And so we, we settle for letting difficult things physically get in the way of, of Jesus healing us. We might say, I want to pick up an unsafe friend for church or for coffee, but it's just kind of a bother. It's a little too far. So there I say, I'm certainly not saying Jesus can only heal at the gathering of the church, but a lot happens when Christians get together. Yes, Jesus can heal you alone. And Jesus could have spoken a word to that paralyzed man and those guys could have said Jesus would you heal our friend he's four blocks away and there's kind of a crowd and Jesus could have done that but their faith said I got to get there and so my first point guys what's the title of the message getting people to Jesus we need to get people to Jesus right yes or no please don't say it's a little too far for me get over it get over it oh gas is too expensive Yeah, and God can't provide. Come on. I need to get myself to Jesus, but it's a little hard to get up early in the morning. Well, he wants to heal you, but you've got to meet with him, et cetera, et cetera. You guys know what I'm saying, right? I'm a little too tired. I have to commute a little too far. Gosh, can can I go out on, on a limb here? Some of us have backed ourselves into such a financial corner so we can have a great lifestyle that maybe our work is so consuming that we have just let our spiritual life die so we can have a nice lifestyle. Jesus said it, not me. The deceitfulness of riches and the cares of this world choke out the word of God so that you're unfruitful. There's a lot of Christians absolutely going to heaven but not very fruitful because they are slaves to their job and and slaves to their mortgage. I'm all for buying a house if you can, but not at the expense of your religious life, your spiritual life. Not at all. You're not going to take the house to heaven with you. Just leave it to somebody else. So these guys basically, we're going to go on to the next point, but these guys basically said, we're not going to let physical difficulties keep us from getting people to Jesus. And it starts with us. Don't let physical difficulties, it's too far, it's too early, it's too late, it's a little hot in there, it's a little cold in there, I don't like the people in there. Don't let physical difficulties keep you from getting yourself to Jesus, however he wants to minister to you, either at home early in the morning by yourself or with a small group or in the corporate gathering. Don't let physical difficulties keep you from getting yourself to Jesus. Don't let physical difficulties keep you from getting somebody else to Jesus. It takes effort. Does anybody feel spanked yet? If you you say no, then I'll go a little further. Can I go a little further? 
We spend a lot more physical effort on our vacationing. We make Mecca trips to everywhere. And then we sit home bemoaning the fact that our emotional lives are a mess when I can't get across town to go to a men's Bible study. It just doesn't make sense. The Lord wants to heal you. You guys believe that? He wants to heal you. There's something wonderful that we're going to discover here. Jesus loved this guy. Totally loved this guy. And these guys said, you know what? We're not going to let physical difficulties stop us. We're going to be there. I just want to encourage you with that. It's worth the effort. I've never shown up to a, to a gathering of God's people and just say, well, I hated that. It was a waste of time praying with people. You know, it, it just doesn't happen. I'm the pastor. Sometimes I don't want to come on Sunday. Can I just be honest with you? I'd rather sleep in sometimes. Stay home and doodle on my guitar or whatever. I never walk away from church going, well, sometimes I walk away and go, well, that was a little tough or I didn't teach very well or this or that or whatever. But I never, I never walk away just going, well, that was a total waste of time. I just, it never happens. So there we go. There's, there's the first point. What they did was difficult, but they did it anyway because it was good and it was right. Secondly, what they did was unorthodox. <laughs> What's your plan for bringing healing to your friend? We're going to tear a hole in a guy's roof. You know? it, what they did was kind of weird and kind of strange. Now here's just some applications for these guys and for us. They were not concerned about what people would say. They were not concerned about the religious experts. Who's there? Okay, remember there's a crowd. There's a crowd in the room, right? You guys with me? There's a crowd in the room, so much so that the people can't get in. Who's there watching the guy come down in the crowd? The scribes and the Pharisees and the religious leaders. Where did they come from? Jerusalem, 80 miles away. They got there early because they wanted to check this Jesus guy out. And these guys were not concerned about the big hitters within Judaism being critical of what they were doing. It's like, we don't care what the big hitters say. We don't care what the religious leaders say. This is the only way that we can get to Jesus, so let's rip a hole in the roof. They weren't concerned about being unorthodox. There are some people certainly that enjoy undoing orthodox and strange things in the name of God. Anybody ever see those guys? Mostly on television. But I've seen some in real life too. Some people, some people will do any weird thing and just say, God told me to, and that's, boy, God gets blamed for a lot of dumb stuff, you know. But it's also, we also have to keep in our minds the fact that sometimes God does do some strange things to get to people. Now, my generation, I, I came to Christ when, um, in, the, in 1972, kind of the thing called the Jesus movement was, was going. And if you know anything about that, basically it was a revival, kind of started in Southern California and in California and spread really throughout the world. But the thing was the whole hippie generation, right? These barefoot guys and gals and, uh, you know, just, you know. If you don't know, go home and Google it, you know. These, they started flooding into these conservative churches with bare feet and, you know, ragged, tattered clothes and this whole thing. And some of those churches said, sorry, we have a dress code, you can't come in. And they shut the doors. And I'm really proud of what the man who ordained me said about that. Pastor Chuck Smith was used in that Jesus Movement revival. And some of his elders said, and this is a true story, they said if they come in with their bare feet, they're going to ruin the carpet. And Pastor Chuck said, then tear up the carpet. 
Amen. Any thumbs up on that one? Tear, tear up the carpet. We can't have church without carpet. Sure you can. It's better to have concrete floors and more people here getting touched by the Lord. Now, we don't want to be unorthodox and strange just for the sake of being unorthodox and strange and, and making Jesus guilty by association when we do dumb, crazy stuff. But just realize sometimes that God may want to use you in a way where somebody else is kind of going, Why, what are you doing that for? For instance, not, not highly... Um, uh, what's, it's not a, not a big scandalous thing, what I'm going to say now. Why are you guys serving coffee to parents in the morning? Isn't that kind of strange? It's not strange at all. They use our parking lot and we say good morning and want some coffee. And now we know their names and now we're, you know, we've been able to pray with or for a few of them. And, and, and Pastor Rob, um, I, I'm unable to continue with it right now. My mom's sick at home. You can pray for my dear old mom. Got a broken leg right now. But I love being out there in the morning. I love getting up early and coming to make, you know, how many gazillion ounces of coffee and serving it to people and just and, and sometimes they just look sometimes they walk right by you like you're a leper or something no it's okay other times it's like hi how are you and or I'm reading a, a Christian book what are you reading and a conversation starts up and it's just so natural and wonderful and beautiful and this week Pastor Rob said some of them are receiving this Halloween card invitations to come to, the, to our outreach and they're happy about it and they're excited about it a little unorthodox maybe coffee ministry I don't know if they teach that in seminary or not. I don't know. There's lots, there's lots of ways to reach people. So don't worry about what people will say. It should be holy. It shouldn't be immoral. It shouldn't be sinful. But don't worry about what people will say. Get people to Jesus. If you like to go bass fishing, have bass fishing evangelism. You're out there in the boat. You have a captive audience, right? You're out there in the boat. You know, Jesus talked about fishing. <laughs> Just teach him a parable. <laughs> There's all kinds of ways to reach out to people. And these guys, they didn't care about being unorthodox. Don't have non-scriptural barriers that prevent people from coming to Jesus. Third thing, what they did was costly. Real, real brief, what they did was costly. Who's going to pay for the roof? <laughs> Bummer for you, Peter. Wouldn't want to be you. <laughs> They didn't stop and say, well, we need to have a, a financial committee and we need to vote on this and how do you know, what if we get sued? Fine, well, sue me. My friend's walking, right? They, they, weren't, they weren't hindered in getting people to Jesus because of finances. Now, we should be wise with our finances and the Bible says to be wise with our finances, but sometimes we're so afraid that we don't spend a penny and sometimes we might just be greedy and want to spend it on ourselves. Guys, sometimes reaching people for Jesus Christ is costly. The gas in the tank, the lunch, picking up the tab at lunch, going to Mexico, going to the other side of the world, whatever the case may be, sometimes it's costly. But it's worth it, isn't it? Yes or no, you guys? Come on, talk to me. It's worth it. Don't you want to hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. You spent your money on other people. Do you think anybody's going to be welcomed into, into, the, into the presence of God? Jesus said, well, good and faithful servant, you spent it all on you. Well done. He's not going to say that. He's not going to say that. He's going to say, well done, you spent a lot of your money on other people. Well done. With no guarantee that they would respond to me. You didn't hoard it. You spent it. I gave you money to use and you spent it in faith, whether or not they come to, to Christ or not. 
And we need to be a little freer with our money, guys. In all areas, for homeless, in the offering box, supporting a Halloween outreach, going to Mexico, you need the money that God has given you, you're managers of it. It's not yours. You're stewards of it. And sometimes we might be so afraid and so nervous and all of this, this other stuff that we just don't, don't get anything done. These guys would not let a potential costly venture keep them from getting people to Jesus. Don't let, it keep you, don't let it keep you from getting people to Jesus. Spend the money. Set it aside. Buy somebody lunch. Do whatever the case is. And so these guys, three things. They did not let themselves get defeated. They did not let physical difficulties or distance defeat them. They did not let having to do something unorthodox defeat them. They did not let the financial consideration defeat them. It was, it was also emotionally costly. What would people say? Who cares? My friend's walking. Who cares? There's always going to be mockers. What's the saying that people say? Haters going to hate, right? Haters are going to hate. There's always going to be critics. Who cares? If you have it in your heart that Jesus, that you, with, with, like with, with this carnival thing that we're doing, the Halloween carnival, I believe in my heart. Now, I don't know how it's going to go. A lot of people might come. Nobody might come. I believe, because we've prayed about it, that Jesus will say to those who are involved, well done, good and faithful servant. We can't be responsible for the results. We can be responsible for trying. And that's what it's about. It's about trying. You can't be responsible for the results. But don't let physical difficulties or maybe an unorthodox approach or finances keep you. Of course we pray, of course we're careful, of course we're wise, but we got to go for it. Jesus said, make disciples of all nations. Sometimes we are like fishermen that are praying for the fish to jump in the boat. Lord, here we are in the church, just have the fish jump in the boat. No, go out and go fishing. Go out and go fishing. Now look at the healing that Jesus brings. Look at the blessing that this guy experiences. Tremendous, guys. Verse 5, we'll pick up the story there. Let me get a sip of water here. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. It's a beautiful thing and it's not in the notes, but in those days, a lot of the Jewish thinking was that if you're, if you're sick, it's because you did something wrong. If you're sick, God is cursing you. So if you're sick, you could have a stigma attached to you that you've been a bad, wicked, evil person. Now, we're not told exactly why this guy was paralyzed. We're not told. I'm going to suggest an idea to you, and it's nothing more than a suggestion, but I'll try to back it up. But Jesus here, and before we get into what I wrote on the notes, he said to the paralytic son, he didn't say man, he didn't say dude, he didn't say bro, he said son. And the word in the Greek is technon, and it means my dear child. Now, if you're walking around town and you're being carried on a, on, a, on a bed and you're a paralytic, some of the people are going, well, he probably did something. You're kind of off limits to some people. The first thing that Jesus does to this guy, Jesus loves this guy. He loves this guy. And he calls him son. He doesn't just address him neutrally or formally. He uses a term of endearment. I think the, I think Lord, the Lord loved this guy. I know that the Lord loved this guy. The Lord loves us. When we, want to get our, when we need to get ourselves to him. I've never had the sense, all the times that I've needed to get myself to God, I've never had the sense that he goes, oh, you again? I've never had that sense. 
I'm ready to say, yeah, me again. I'm ready to say that, but I've never had the sense that he would say it. Walden, you again? You know, you used up your 14,000 opportunities. I've never had that sense. So he speaks to this guy's spiritual need. The spiritual need was the greatest need that he had. To have his sins forgiven was more important than walking. And oftentimes, and I understand this, and I'm not like scolding anybody or anything like that, oftentimes we pray for people, we pray for their provision, we pray for their protection, we pray for their health, we pray for their finances. Those are all good things to pray for. But guys, don't ever just pray for those without praying for salvation. Salvation was the greatest thing that this guy had. If this guy goes home walking, but he's not forgiven, now he's just a sinner who can walk. And now he's still going to face the judgment of God after he dies. And so Jesus goes after this man's spiritual need, the greatest need that he had. Now I want to throw something at you. Let me read verses 5 to 8 again. Jesus saw their faith. He said to the paralytic son, your sins are forgiven you. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. So there's something going on quietly in their hearts, right? Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within himself, he said, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? So Jesus, could we say it this way, could read their hearts. He knew what was going on inside of them. Now I'm going to suggest something to you that I didn't read anywhere and I'm just going to suggest it to you. But if he knew what was going on inside of their hearts, do you think maybe he knew what was going on inside the paralytic's heart? I think maybe that's possible. Now I don't think this is a case of Jesus knew what, what they were thinking because he was God in the flesh. Because look at your notes here. We'll turn over to Mark chapter 13. I'm gonna, gonna show us, share something with you guys. Look at Mark 13:32. Jesus is teaching about the last days. And in Mark 13:32, he says, "But of that day and hour when Christ comes back, of that day and hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father." Turn back to Mark 2. There were some things, as the God-man, as God in heaven, he, he had divine omniscience. He knew everything. There was nothing that Jesus didn't know. <clears throat> that divine attribute, when Jesus put on flesh, he laid that divine attribute aside. And as the God-man, he was still man and didn't have complete knowledge of every situation all the time. How did he know this? In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8, there is a spiritual gift, it's, and we're not going to get into it too much, it's called the gift of knowledge, where the Spirit of God can impart to you some information about a situation or about a person that, they, that, that you couldn't possibly know apart from divine revelation. So, what's my point? Okay, I'm really glad you asked, because I have a really good point. Okay. Jesus knew what was going on in the hearts of the scribes and Pharisees, and they were reasoning, and they were rightfully reasoning, why is this guy re- forgiving sins? He doesn't have the right, only God can do that. So that was, th- their thinking was correct, but Jesus knew what they were thinking. Now why, why did Jesus with the paralytic start with, your sins are forgiven you? May I suggest, just a suggestion, what you could see about the paralytic was that he couldn't walk. What you couldn't see was how he felt. We're not told what his paralysis was. I'm inclined to think 
that he probably did bring this stuff on himself. How could a man become paralyzed besides being born paralyzed, besides contracting an illness? He could get drunk and fall down the stairs. Maybe this guy was a drunkard. Maybe, I'm just saying maybe, I don't know. Maybe this guy was a drunkard and he fell down the stairs and broke his leg or broke his lower back and he couldn't walk and he was ashamed of it. Maybe this guy loved to fight and so he got beat up so badly because he couldn't keep his temper that he ended up as a paralytic. We're not told. But I'm just wondering, I'm just wondering, guys, and you can take this and do whatever you want with it. I'm wondering if Jesus is saying, you know what? Jesus sees their faith, verse 5, he says, my dear son, your sins are forgiven you. I'm wondering if this guy's not just laying on the bed hoping for healing, but he's laying on the bed just saying, man, I've really messed my life up. I think that's entirely possible. I'll say it. I'm not ashamed. I've said that. Man, I've really messed my life up. And I think the injuries to the soul are much more damaging than the injuries to the body. Because you can learn to walk with a limp, but it's hard to live with a broken heart and a messed up head. You guys with me? I'm, I'm persuaded. Am I reading into it? Maybe. And that's why I'm saying maybe. But I'm persuaded Jesus knows what this guy's real deepest need is. Besides just salvation, he's speaking to what this guy really needs to hear. He comes in, maybe, and he's paralyzed, and he's like, man, I hope you can heal me, but I hope he doesn't ask how it happened. It's like sometimes we come to the Lord, it's like we want this situation to change. Man, I hope I don't go to jail or I hope this thing doesn't happen to me and all of this and everything and I'm here at the church but I just hope nobody asks me why it's this way. I kind of think that's a real possibility. Back to the story. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, and all, all five of them had faith, He said to the paralytic, My dear son, your sins are forgiven you. Rightly so, the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Their thinking was correct. Theologically, they are correct. Only God can forgive sins. Guys, if you you talk to people who say Jesus never claimed to be God, take him to this passage. He's basically saying, Yeah, you're right. I can forgive sins. I'm God. And then he proved it. Look at verses 8 to 11. And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you or or arise, take up your bed and walk? It's easy to say to somebody, your sins are forgiven you. How can you tell? (laughs) You can't tell. And so anybody could say, I could tell anybody in the room, your sins are forgiven you, you know. Who can prove it or disprove it? You can't. But if you come in crippled and I say, pick up your bed and walk, then there's some proving that has to take place. And so Jesus is saying, I'm just basically going to show you that I have the power to forgive sins because I also have the power to heal his legs. Verse 10, but that you may know the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. And then he said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, go your, go your way to your house. And immediately he rose, took up his bed, and went out in the presence of them all so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. The healing was, was total. The healing was instantaneous. 
No, I think God can still heal. We're going to close our time here in a few minutes. If, and we're going to have some of the leaders in the church, life group leaders and the elders and the guys on the board and their wives are going to be up here to pray for you. And if you are ill, let us anoint you with oil and we're going to pray for God to heal you. And he might and he might not, but he will in the next life for sure. He doesn't always heal, but sometimes he does. And then, But some of the other healings, guys, that we need, and again, I'm not ashamed to say this, I've been on the long-term mental health healing plan. <laughs> and it wasn't something that was diagnosable. It was just life. You guys with me? Is it, are you never going to come back again? That I said that? <laughs> Our pastor's nuts. I'm only a little. <laughs> Should have seen me before when Debbie met me. <laughs> well, we don't want to see those pictures. Life is a long-term healing plan with Jesus. And so we keep coming, we keep getting ourselves back to him. And then for other people, we keep getting them back to him. Verse 12, end end of verse 12, we never saw anything like this. How did it start? With four guys that said, we're not going to be denied. It doesn't matter how hard it is. It doesn't matter how unorthodox it is. And it doesn't matter if it costs us a lot of money. We're not going to be denied. 